are Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up and welcome to another Monday edition of Locked On NBA, the biggest stories with the local experts. I'm your Monday host, Jackson Gatlin, also host of Locked On Rockets right here on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Now today's episode will be joined by Matt Moore from Locked On Nuggets. The Denver Nuggets have taken a commanding 3-1 finals lead. What adjustments did Denver make after their game to a loss and what needs to go right in game five for them to close out the Miami Heat? Then we'll be chatting with Mike Richmond from Locked On Blazers. The Portland Trailblazers are the wild card at the top of this year's NBA draft. Will they trade their third overall pick for another vet to put around Damian Lillard or bring in another young piece? Lastly, we'll be chatting with Philip Rossman Reich from Locked On Magic to discuss the Orlando Magic's goals heading into the draft, how aggressive Orlando expects to be with picks 6 and 11, and what direction things are likely to go on draft night. Now, today's episode is brought to you by Prize Picks. First-time users can receive a 100% deposit match up to $100 with promo code LOCKEDON. That's prizepicks.com, promo code LOCKEDON. And as always, thank you so much for making Locked On NBA your first listen each and every day, free and available wherever you listen to your podcasts, including YouTube. Joining us now is the host of Locked On Nuggets, Matt Moore. You can track down wherever you listen to your podcasts and on YouTube. Just search Locked On Nuggets. And Matt, the Denver Nuggets took a commanding 3-1 finals lead over the Miami Heat series of shifting back to Denver for Game 5. Let's backtrack here a couple games, though. What key adjustments have you seen Michael Malone make since Game 2, that Game 2 loss, to kind of get back in front of this series? Well, the Nuggets started trying again. That was always helpful for them to be able to win finals games. Uh, look, they were they were pretty visibly upset. And you can tell, I think, having covered the team as long as I have, you do get a sense for um, what their approach is. And you, as much as pressers are sometimes not indicative of where guys are at because they're just saying things just to say them, in the finals, I think you do you can kind of read between the lines a little bit. And Denver felt very much that, they, that game two was about their lack of focus, their their lack of effort, their lack of discipline to the game plan. And they fixed all those things in Miami in games three and four. Um, the offensive stuff is a series of sequences in which Miami just can't really solve it because the Jokic-Murray two-man game hit them with so much force that they were forced to then start blitzing Jamal Murray. And then they found out that, oh no, Aaron Gordon and Bruce Brown can score too. And so it was all kind of downhill from there. Defensively, though, I think is where Malone has done the most work. Um, really keying in and saying like, look, we're going to give up shots to Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo, but we're only going to give up these shots. We're going to give up short range jumpers and they're going to hit them about 50% clip, but that's only going to get them to one points per possession. And our offense, which is the best in the NBA, I think we can say pretty definitively at this point, even if they're not uh, metrically. So in terms of weaponry, the Denver Nuggets is the best. We're going to plug along at about 1.2. And that gap between 120 points per under possessions and hundred is massive. And it's why in the series, the pace has been so low. Everyone's like, well, the, the Heat were there. It was single digits. They could have. If you, if you take pace out of this, this has been a much more commanding and dominating performance from Denver. So a lot of this, I think, is about how they have managed to solve the Heat challenges. The Heat had to throw a bunch of junk at Denver because they're so outmatched in this series. And some teams fall apart in the Eastern Conference. And the Nuggets have simply been able to, to keep to the game plan, keep the track, and they have just a huge talent advantage, especially with an injured Jimmy Butler and no Tyler Hero. 
We're going to get to Nikola Jokic here in just a moment, but I want to give some flowers to the supporting cast first because we saw their in game four, right? Jokic picks up a pair of back-to-back fouls in the fourth quarter, has to sit, and you're looking at like this stretch where, okay, do they survive? Will they survive the non-Jokic minutes? How has Denver handled the non-Jokic minutes so far in these finals? You know, in the playoffs, they've been really great. There's going to be stretches where it gets really bad, and those are always the Jeff Green minutes. Um, you know, Christian Brown actually had a, a really rough game um, four, as a matter of fact, after a phenomenal game three. His minutes were pretty rough. Uh, really what it became about was, can you mitigate the damage? And in the regular season, when the backups are playing more minutes and you're not staggering as many starters, it got worse. And that's really been the solution. Like, there's no complicated, like, adjustment that they've made to figure out the bench it's literally just like, hey, what if we just play the starters all the time? And that's generally tend to work out pretty well. I will sing a lot. Bruce Brown is a guy that not only in game four, but, but throughout the playoffs has been absolutely massive for them. Um, he's run what I've what I've come to refer to as fullback dive, which is their entire second unit scheme is because Joker's not on the floor. They can switch everything. They play small ball five with AG or Jeff Green at five. Switch everything get stops and run, 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 run. And when they're running off of those misses, they have so much athleticism and they do still move the ball well enough and they have shooting. They've been able to make enough damage. Bruce Brown has been absolutely phenomenal in these playoffs. He's been phenomenal in this series and he was phenomenal in game four, a huge reason why they took a three, one lead. Jokic has been just utterly dominant. It's been an insane postseason run for him. Anytime you're mentioned along the likes of Will Chamberlain, Wilt Chamberlain and, and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, um, you're doing some pretty good stuff there. Uh, Jokic owning uh, 60% of all-time games with 30 points, 20 rebounds, and 10 assist performances in NBA postseason history. Uh, he has three of them. Kareem has one, and Wilt has one. So that's a pretty, uh, pretty solid list when you look at it there. Is this one of the most dominant postseason runs that we've seen from any player ever? Yes. Uh, it kind of snuck up on me, honestly, where it was like, all right, they got through the Wolves. All right, you know, it's the Wolves and it's first round series. Pretty good team, but whatever. And then, like, you look at the end of the Sun series, and there were so many games in there that he absolutely dominated. And then the Lakers series in particular, when he just moved through Anthony Davis like he was water. That, that was where I really was like, we're watching something that's entirely on another level. And now you get here. And you kind of keep waiting for that series where it was like, all right, well, yeah, he's he's been good, but there's surely there will be like a series where maybe he's not as good, where he looks a little bit mortal, and it just it like, has like not somebody happened. like, and it kind of, I mean, yeah. it looked like it was maybe going to happen there in game two for a moment where he didn't necessarily look mortal because he dropped forty, but they might have you know figured something out with you know the the zoning and, and kind of taking away the playmaking, and then yeah. it didn't it didn't matter. Yeah, and the thing with him, and then this is really important, I think, for anybody that follows the NBA to understand is that there are absolutely dominant players in this league. There are phenomenal talents in this league. Um, some of them have won an MVP, say, I don't know, this year. The problem is that those guys don't have the ability to shape the game. Those guys don't have the ability to where they can do what they do. The difference is with Nikola Jokic, he can do everything. Post-ups, three-pointers, mid-block, high block, low post, inside cuts, two-man game, pick and pop, everything. Everything that combination where there isn't a saw form, and it's why Eric Spolster was so spicy when talked about asked about the whole make Jokic a scorer thing. Is you know, he's got a lot of respect for Ramona Shelburne, he should. Ramona Shelburne's an incredible reporter. The thing is, is that Spolster is smart enough to know there is not a solve for Joker, there is not one, and that's been proven time and time again. And even in a game four, 
where he was hampered by foul trouble and honestly didn't shoot the ball very well by his standards. He still had a massive impact because of what defenses have to pay attention to with him. He's been great on the defensive end. That's what surprised, I think, most people is how good he's been on the defensive end in these playoffs and especially in these finals. Um, It's been a masterful performance and it's put him. I, I have continued to watch him and been like, all right, surely that's the apex of him. And if you'd asked me even three years ago, will Nikola Jokic be an all-time great player? I would have expressed some skepticism, but we're, we're here. He's an all-time great player having an all-time great playoffs, and he's one win away from getting the ring on top of it. What needs to happen? What needs to go right in game five for the Nuggets to be able to close this thing out? It's going to be interesting to see what the Heat do if they stick with the same strategy from game four, right? Are they going to continue to blitz Jamal Murray? Because it, they, I, I think they came out of game three with being like, we can't allow that again. It's... It's pretty hard to win when two guys have 30 point triple doubles. That's a that's a hard thing to kind of to 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 win. So like do you look at game 4 and go, "All right, look, we lost that one, but we still think this is a better game plan." Do they go all offense and put Duncan Robinson in the starting unit, play Kyle Lowry more, you know, try and get to more of these offensive units because that's one of their biggest problems. They're not getting stops, and on top of it, they're playing defensive lineups that can't score. So do they shift in that direction? For the Nuggets, it really is just like Keep to your process. Just make the right reads. As long as you're making the right reads with how this offense is built and the personnel, good things are going to happen. They don't need to hit threes to win games. They don't need to have Jokic have a dominating scoring performance. They don't need Jokic to have 15 assists. He can. He probably will at least have 10, but they don't need that from him. And Murray showed in game four he doesn't have to have 30 either. That if you're going to put that kind of pressure on him, he'll make you pay the same. They have too many options. As long as they stay composed, they don't get too caught up in the moment here because this is the biggest game in franchise history. And for a lot of these guys, this is the, obviously the biggest game they've ever been in. So much on the line here. If they don't let that affect them, the same way they really haven't let it affect them all playoffs, they're going to be in a good shape to close this out and win the series and win the title. The Denver Nuggets are one win away from an NBA title. Can they close things out in Game 5? Of course, you'll have us covered for all that and more over at Locked On Nuggets. Matt, I appreciate you stopping by Locked On NBA with me. Thanks for having me. Coming up, the Portland Trailblazers are the wild card in this year's NBA draft. Will they trade their third overall pick for some veteran support to put next to Damian Lillard, or will they add another young piece? We're going to get there in just one moment. But first, today's episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. It's so easy to get caught up in what everyone else needs from you and never take a moment to think about what you need from yourself, right? If you're spending all your time giving, it can leave you feeling stretched, super thin, completely burned out because you don't have any time to focus on your own needs. Therapy can give you the tools to find more balance in your life so you can keep supporting others without leaving yourself behind. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Find more balance with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash LockedOnNBA today to get 10% off your very first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com slash LockedOnNBA. And continuing on here at Locked On NBA Monday. Be sure to stay tuned in throughout the week as you have it covered for all of the NBA Finals action right here at Locked On NBA.
Joining us now is the host of Locked On Blazers, Mike Richmond. You can track down wherever you listen to your podcast and on YouTube. Just search Locked On Blazers. And Mike, we are 10 days out from the NBA draft. And the Portland Trailblazers are kind of the wild card of this year's draft, right? There's a lot of question marks about what they should or shouldn't do with that number three overall pick. And that's, I think, kind of where the draft really starts, if you will. So let's start there. Should the Blazers be looking to hold on to that pick or should they be looking to deal that third overall pick in a trade? And we'll kind of unpack from that point moving forward. I am firmly in the make the pick camp. Um, They probably shouldn't have found themselves in this position, but it is so hard to trade a third pick in the NBA draft for value. Um, Even the trade targets that they might be after, there's a very good chance you end up regretting it. So I think while they might end up trading the pick, because they don't care what I say, I'm just a podcast host. But I I think I am firmly, if like, you know, if they do call me up, uh, they got my number, they can, uh, I am firmly in the keep, keep the pick. I'm firmly in the keep the pick camp. Okay, and you talk about you know trying to get fair value that kind of thing. If you're if you're looking at trading the pick, but so much of the understand it kind of feels like right things are angling towards running things back with Dame and trying to retool, reload around him, all that. So so why you know how, why are you why do you find yourself in the keep the pick camp? You know how how vehemently against the idea of you know trading the pick are you specifically like why why are you so much against it? I guess. Oh, I mean, I don't care, <laughs> but, but uh, when they last, okay. So the Blazers have tanked the last two seasons, super aggressively. Mm-hmm. They're six and 40 after the all-star break over the last two seasons. I'm going to say that again for the listeners who are new to the program, six and 40 y'all six and 40. So they've really gone this route the last two years. And last year when they got the seventh pick in the draft, I was very much in favor of them trading the pick. When they drafted a really good 19-year-old in Shaden Sharp, they started this second timeline, the young timeline. They were bad again this year, somewhat on purpose, somewhat just kind of fell into being not very good and then pulled the plug really aggressively again. Once they started the timeline, I think you got to just stick to it. You can't do both. Um, And they want to do both, right? They want to build around Dame. They want to trade this pick and something else for a star and become a championship-level team, but that they want to hold on to Shaden Sharp. You can't do both. So what I believe, you keep the pick, you you begin this, you just admit what it is. And whether Dame's involved or not, you have to say, last year we started this, we started this progress, we took this path, we have to stay on it. Because if you don't and you punt, you get caught in this sort of mediocre middle after two seasons of being super bad on purpose. Yeah, you, do, you don't want to be where, you know, the, the NBA treadmill of mediocrity, if you will. So... You say whether Dame is a part of this or not, does that mean, you know, should the Blazers be looking at, at ending the Damian Lillard era? Or you talk about them trying to do both, right, and trying to hold on to him. But in a perfect scenario, you could reload and kind of restart or, or I guess, you know, jump into the rebuild, you know, head first by dealing Dame if there's a deal out there that they think is, you know, the right deal, obviously, right. and kind of jumpstart the rebuild that way. I think that's the problem is that if there was an obvious suitor that had a package that made sense, then it would be much easier to say, go for it. If there isn't an obvious suitor, uh, the Knicks got their point guard. Um, sorry, Stephen A., uh, but they <laughs> they went a little early on it. There's no other sort of like borderline contender type team um, that needs a 30, a really good 33-year-old, right? Like there isn't that team that needs that. I mean, maybe Phoenix feels like they need that, but they can't afford it anymore. It's the, Things done changed. So 
there isn't an obvious path for Dame. And I, I actually am okay with saying like, get another really good 19 year old, start that and, and have Dame be part of it for as long as he wants to be. The problem is, and the, like the variable here is, that Damian Lord might not be super into that, right? Like he, he seems, he has been at exit interviews said, I don't, you know, I'm, that's enough for 19 year olds. If they go that route, that's not my route. I think there's been some sort of, if you just reading the tea leaves over the last couple of days, I don't think that has really changed. The Blazers have changed their tune though. They're saying we, you're going to wow us to trade the third pick. So I think they're caught in this really awkward spot. The right thing to do, and I think they know it, their front office is to make the pick. And then the right thing to do is probably also to not trade Dame because there's not a good package for it. And then you end up in a very strange place with a, two good players under 21 that you've drafted in the top 10 in the last two years and a franchise icon who's going to turn 33 a month from now. Happy birthday, Damian Lillard. Who really wants to go for it? And that puts you in this strange spot. And being in that strange spot. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean even if there's not a trade for Dame on the table this offseason or, or ahead of the NBA draft, right? It thinks, you know, we see the NBA landscape. It changes so drastically, so quickly oh, yeah. all the time, right? There might be an offer out there three months from now that doesn't currently exist, right? A team really feels like they want to push all their chips in, whatever. But if you're the Blazers and you are stuck in that awkward position of, okay, we haven't been able to find a package for Dame, but we also really want to make this pick because we think there's, you know, a really talented 19-year-old, 20-year-old, whatever prospect to be had at pick number yeah, three. Yeah, Scoot's 20 or whatever. So is Brandon Miller. They're there, 20. There I'm just using 19 as, okay. a place mil- okay. as a place filler. All right. Now, let, now let's say, again, there's there's a lot. It, it feels like a lot of the speculation is saying Brandon Miller is going to be off the board at Right. At, you know, by the time Blazers are on the board at number three, how it makes it even more of an awkward fit if you take a Scoot Henderson, because then you're not only drafting another, you know, young player that Dame maybe, you know, might not be too fond of, but then you're drafting him at Dame's position. Is there a world where those two guys can actually coexist, where Scoot's development isn't hampered if the Blazers pick him? Or is there a world where they try to have their cake and eat it too, and maybe they grab, you know, a Cam Whitmore or an Asar Thompson because that's a young guy with some upside, good prospect, but also kind of fits in next to Dame as well? I think if you keep three, you draft the best player. Like you, you don't draft for you don't draft for fit with Dame in mind, right? Like if you have three, you pick the best player at three. And if you think Scoot Henderson is the best player at three, which I think is sort of the consensus, I'm not like a big draft nut, but I think that's the consensus. I think you go with it. The problem isn't just Dame. The problem is Anthony Simons. The problem is Shaden Sharp. Now you've got four very good guards, or at least like potentially very good guards, right? Like Scoot might not be very good in October, but he's like has the potential to be a very very good basketball player. Uh, Anthony Simons, uh, you know. Pretty darn good at 23. Shade and Sharp, shades of being very good at 20. Um, it, it just, is there a world where Scoot can coexist with Dame? Sure. But there's not a world where all four of those gentlemen can go into camp. So I think the most likely scenario is that the Blazers draft at three who's ever available. If it is Mr. Henderson, then sure, so be it. And then they try to flip Anthony Simons in their second first round pick 23 for something. The problem is, if I know that, so does everyone else. And when the Blazers call, you say, hey, call me when three's on the board. I'm not interested in 23. I'll talk to you soon. What will the Blazers ultimately do with that number three overall pick? Will they trade it for an established player? Will they ultimately wind up making the pick? Of course, you'll have us covered for all of that and more over at Locked On Blazers. Mike, I appreciate you stopping by Locked On NBA with me. I cannot wait till this is over, Jackson. <laughs>
Coming up, what are the goals for the Orlando Magic heading into this year's NBA draft? How aggressive are they expected to be with picks 6 and 11 going into draft night? We're going to get there in just one moment. But first, today's episode is brought to you by Prize Picks. Next game, how about Nikola Jokic to score more than 26.5 points? What about Bam Adebayo to have less than 11.5 rebounds? How about Jimmy Butler to have more than 6.5 assists? Or what about Jamal Murray to have less than 4.5 three-pointers made? So what is prize picks? It's daily fantasy sports. But how does it work? Basically, you pick two to six players, and if they score more or less than their prize picks projection, you can go up to 25 times back on your money on any entry you submit. There's no competing against other people. It's just you versus the projections that are available. Prize picks are offers projections on any sport that you watch. That's NBA, NFL, MLB, NHL. They've got you covered for all the action over at Prize Picks. Entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It's that simple. They're safe. They offer fast withdrawals. Currently operational in over 30 states and Canada. And right now, during the NBA Finals, one PrizePix user will win a chance at becoming a millionaire. But you got to download the app to find out how. So download the PrizePix app or go to prizepix.com to sign up and play daily fantasy sports. First-time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with promo code Locked On. That means if you deposit $100, PrizePix will give you $100. If you deposit $50, PrizePix will give you $50. So don't forget to enter promo code locked on at sign up for an instant deposit match up to one hundred dollars. And final segment here at Locked On NBA Monday, as always, thank you so much for making Locked On NBA part of your day every single day. Joining us now is the host of Locked On Magic, Philip Rossman Reich. You can track down wherever you listen to your podcasts and on YouTube. Just search Locked On Magic. And Philip, we are at that time of year, the NBA draft right around the corner, 10 days away. So going into this year's draft, what are the Orlando Magic's kind of goals for how to approach this draft this time this year with kind of how the team took some steps forward this past season and kind of the rest of their offseason goals and what they're trying to accomplish moving forward organizationally. Yeah, it's it's really tricky to kind of figure out what the Magic want to do. And obviously they have a lot of power in this year's draft because they have the 6th and 11th pick. And so with two lottery picks, it, there's always the possibility of everyone saying like, oh, can we get this pick? You know, can maybe package those two picks to move up? It's never really clear how aggressive the Magic want to be because they keep everything super quiet. I'm, I'm kind of jealous of all those other teams that let everyone know who's working out for them. I have to scour these teenagers' Instagram pages uh, to find out when they're in town. Um, but Reading the IG story tea leaves, you don't have fun doing that because I, I'm in the I, same I, boat with the I, Rockets. I like, to, I like to give them their 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 space and, and I let, and I let uh, Magic Twitter do that for me. Uh, it's, it's called it's called crowdsourcing. Um, but no, uh, it's it's really hard to tell what the Magic want to do. Um, you know, on one hand, their message all last season and heading into this season is level up. Last year they leveled up. They were, you know, on the outskirts of the postseason chase. They had a really strong finish to the season. This year, leveling up would be making the playoffs. And, and Paolo Bancaro has said pretty much every time he's talked to the media, our goal is to make the playoffs. We talk about it on our team, you know, text thread, uh, on our team group chat. We're making the playoffs next year. That that seems to be the message that the players are sending out. And so if that's the case, the goal in this draft should be to come away with some shooting, come away with guys who are going to help this team uh, make that step. Maybe even trading one of those picks for a veteran player instead of another rookie because they were the third youngest team in the league last year. On the other hand, the front office says nothing. Uh, and this very well could be their last sort of bite at the apple. And so to some, in some respects, 
It also feels like this is a this is a draft for the Magic to be aggressive, to try and maybe trade up, get make sure they get the the young player, the player in this draft that they really like outside of Victor Wembanyama, who's probably just completely uh, off limits, but to make sure they get the player that they feel completes the picture and allows them to take, a, you know, maybe not a step this season, but a big step forward moving forward. And, and so it's not really clear what the Magic are going to do, but they have a lot of options ahead of them. You talked about some of that aggressiveness there, right? And what we might see the Magic try and do. So let's operate under the assumption it, there has been some reporting around the NBA landscape that you might see the Magic try and package picks 6 and 11 to move up into that top end of this year's lottery, somewhere in that 3 to 5 range. What name stands out to you as the name that you know you would be interested in the Magic taking if they were able to kind of take that leap, put those two picks together, and get into that top five of this year's draft i mean i think i think the guy that that definitely stands out and and even before this draft process before we knew how good the magic were going to be i think we all said to ourselves scoot henderson is exactly who this magic team needs a, a guy who can attack off the dribble can stop and hit mid-range jumpers which you know his shooting numbers from the outside the perimeter aren't great but he has shown plenty of ability to hit from the mid-range and, and just be kind of a a ball dominant guy they have paolo banker who can work the low post and create a little bit for himself having another kind of big point guard almost would be a real big benefit if it's not going for him i really do think the magic are a team that really is kind of in on the thompson twins um both amen and asar are versatile versatile wing players they can play up and down positions. They can play make with their size. Uh, Amen Thompson as a six foot seven point guard that just screams Orlando Magic. We want big, tall players who can handle the ball, who aren't typical, who are you know more skilled players than their height height at this point. Um, to me, those are those are the three players that I think the Magic would be trying to trade up to make sure that they get if they're trying to trade up at all. And at this point, I mean, you're almost guaranteed at pick number six at least. You're guaranteed probably at least one of. Asar or Cam Whitmore, depending on what direction the Detroit Pistons decide to go at number five. Maybe there's some weird, you know, movement in the top part of the draft. And, you know, another maybe maybe Amon also falls a little bit lower, although that's probably a bit more unlikely at this point. So if the Magic were to, you know, keep both of their picks, right? You don't you don't see the aggressiveness. You don't see them try to package them together. What are some of the names that you're keeping an eye on around pick 11, assuming they keep both of them and they just add a couple young guys back to this uh, to this young core? Yeah, the, the big thing that I've told my listeners uh, throughout this whole draft process, um, you know, if when you have two picks, you can kind of reach with one pick and then be safe with the other one. But the thing that I've told my listeners throughout this whole process is no matter what, I want the Magic coming out of draft night with a shooter. They are, you know, 27th in the league. They were, I think, 23rd, 24th in the league in three-point field goal percentage, 27th in the league in, in three-point field goal attempts per game. The math is really, really hard in this league if you're not shooting threes. And look, Denver shot fewer threes than the Magic did this year. They're also the most ruthlessly efficient offense in the league. You can you can make up for it if you have Nikola Jokic and Jabal Murray running your show. Uh, so it's not like you need to take a ton of threes, but this Magic team has to be able to take more threes. The math just doesn't work. And so, you know, if I'm Orlando, I'm really focused at 11 on Grady Dick and Jordan Hawkins from UConn. Grady Dick from Kansas, Jordan Hawkins from UConn. They're arguably the two best shooters in this draft, um, you know, kind of widely considered at least two of the three best shooters in the draft. This draft, a lot of people like Chet Howard from Michigan as well. Um, but if I'm Orlando, if I come away with one of those two players, I have a guy who's going to be able to take a lot of threes, is pretty much going to come right out of the box ready to shoot NBA three-pointers too, which I think is really important. Uh, those are guys are going to be able to contribute to my team and, and make my team better immediately. Even if they make rookie mistakes on defense still, 
getting shooting is like the big imperative for this magic team. And, and it's really, you know, I know I just mentioned Scoot Henderson, Amen Thompson, Osar Thompson, who are all not considered good shooters. Uh, but this magic team really has to put a premium on shooting in free agency and all the guys that they add to this team that aren't kind of home run swings. And so do you think that kind of plays into at least their draft philosophy as far as right balancing the, the need for talent versus fit on their roster and kind of spreading that the love, I guess, between those two picks, right? Where maybe pick six is more the bigger, you know, the bite at the apple, a star, best player available versus pick 11, which could become, hey, we, we need this piece or this skill on the roster. So we're going to go for the guy that best provides that here at pick 11. Yeah. And I, and I think that's just generally how a lot of, you know, non, non like pure rebuilding teams probably handle these draft picks is they say, Hey, we can take a big swing. You know, Orlando essentially was in this position two years ago. They took, you know, they, they were prepared to take a big swing on Scotty Barnes at five in that draft. Jalen Suggs fell to them. You know, I think everyone can kind of consider Jalen Suggs part of that, that, that top group at the time. It's maybe obviously changed, but Jalen Suggs was their star swing. Franz Wagner was the safe pick. You know, the, the draft rep reputation on Franz Wagner coming out of Michigan was this is a guy that's going to connect your team, help them be better. He's not going to make a lot of mistakes. He's not going to play outside of himself. Nobody really had a clue that he was what he has been his, his first two seasons in the league where, you know, he's a guy that the match probably consider a future all-star at this point. You know, I'm sure, you know, no offense to Golden State Warriors fans, and they took a big swing on Jonathan Kuminga. I'm sure they're kicking themselves not going with the quote-unquote safe pick with Franz Wagner at this point. He would have been really good for them. Like, it's it's scary how good he would have been. And honestly, like, in that draft process, I'll admit to my, my mistake here, I thought Franz Wagner was going to be good no matter where he ended up. I didn't think he would be successful on a rebuilding Magic team. I thought he'd be better on a team like Golden State where he'd he just kind of help fill in gaps for a team like that. Um, that's kind That was kind of the philosophy when the Magic made that draft two years ago and and obviously worked out for them. And so I do think that's part of the equation here. You know, even if the magic say with 11, want to swing for Bilal Koulibaly, another wing who very much fits the magic profile. He's got, he's what six, eight with a seven foot two wingspan, very, very raw, but a great athlete, already a pretty solid defender in the French league, which be playing with Victor Wembenyama and, and Wembenyama has been nothing but effusive of his praise and how important he's been for the, their run to the championship series. If the Magic go for Bilal Koulibaly, take their home run swing there, you know, there are options for them to either maybe trade back a little bit, honestly, from six, or just go ahead and take your guy with like a Taylor Hendricks, maybe a Jairus Walker, you know, there, 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 or even an Anthony Black. There are some kind of safer picks and with more defined skills that they could take at six, so they can take a home run swing a little bit later with, you know, Bilal Koulibaly, maybe Derek Lively from Duke. You know, I, I think Dar- Derek Whitehead would be a little high at 11, but the kid's got talent too. So, you know, there's, there are a lot of options around. And one of those options, you mentioned this pretty early on, the idea of, you know, adding veterans, right? Maybe trading for a more established player with one of those picks, or if not, maybe both of those picks. Who are some of the names on your radar if the Magic look to trade out of the draft, either completely or by just using one of those picks to maybe go grab an established presence to bring into their young core? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's still tough to get a read of, of the trade market, trade market room. You know, an idea that I've kind of had in my head uh, for a little bit is, you know, maybe trading back from six to to eight to, I think Washington's at eight, trading back from six to, to eight and maybe grabbing like a Daniel Gaffer. You know, I think the Magic really need a backup center. They need someone that's going to be able to start for Wendell Carter because Wendell Carter, I think the most games he's played in his career is 65. Um, you got to count on him missing 15 games a year at the, at the at this juncture. So, you know, I I don't know if our, our locked on mock draft is out yet, but I did a similar move in our locked on mock draft trading out of the draft from 11. Um, just 
fair warning, I would do that mock draft very differently today than when we recorded it. Um, so I I, I, I I disavow anything that that locked on mock draft filled it does in that in that draft. Um, but you know there there are going to be names. Uh, you know the market's going to wiggle free, and Orlando is certainly a team that you know at least once the the the, the books flip over to July is a team that has some cap room that could absorb some salary to and be facilitator to get some of those veteran players that, that maybe need to be moved around for some big trades, because by all accounts, it's going to be a big summer for, for off season moves uh, with so few teams having, having salary cap room and a lot of teams trying to get under that second apron, perhaps the, the magic could be a team that could get, that could get very active on the trade market a little bit later on as well. What are the Orlando Magic's goals going into this year's NBA draft? How will they approach the draft? Will they make those picks? Will they be aggressive and trade up, trade out? You're going to have us covered for all of that and more over at Locked On Magic. Philip, I appreciate you stopping by Locked On NBA with me. Thanks for having me on as always. That's going to do it for another Monday edition of Locked On NBA. As always, thank you so much for checking out the show. If you haven't done so yet, please consider subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts. That's Apple, Spotify, Google, the Odyssey app, free and available on all podcast platforms. We're also available on YouTube. Just go to YouTube, search Locked On NBA. Be sure to like, comment, and subscribe. But as always, thank you so much for listening, and we look forward to having you back right here at Locked On NBA, the biggest stories with the local experts.